Welcome to the Business Chef Podcast, where we learn from the best about the business side of the food service industry. Do you make food? Then let us help you make money doing it. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook, or email us info at businesschef.org. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Business Chef Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Chef Sean Boucher. Today, we're talking to one of the most dynamic individuals I think you'll meet out there. A guy by the name of Rick Orlando who has the chops. You know, there's a lot of people that talk about them doing things in food or being able to be successful in the food service industry, doing multiple things, again, across multiple platforms. But Rick is the guy that actually does it. He's had restaurants that have been successful. He's had catering companies. He's been on the Food Network. He's beat Bobby Flay. He has done a lot of things. And he's been in this business for over 40 years. So without further ado, let's let Rick tell us his story and talk about how he has been successful in the food service industry. All right. Well, I'm, uh, I'm 58 years old and I've been in the restaurant business for over 40 years, which sounds like horrifying, but it's true. Um, and I got into the business pretty much by default. Um, I started out as a high school kid. Um, I was playing sports and I got hit by a car and wrecked my leg. So I ended up um, getting out of the athletic thing. And I was just playing music and being the choir and, you know, getting ready like everybody else in high school, thinking about going into the music field. And I got a part time job at a, a small chain out of Massachusetts called D'Angelo's. They're a sub chain. They were trying to compete with uh, Subway at the time who had also just recently started out in Connecticut. So they're both this Northeast subs or this Northeast phenomenon, I guess. And um, I really gravitated to that. And in a very short time, I was, before you knew it, I was like 17 and I was assistant manager of the store. But meanwhile, I kept pursuing my music and arts dreams and working in restaurants. And one thing led to another. And I find myself in Boston in 1982. And I was doing sales and other odd jobs while still trying to poke my way through the music and arts world. And I got a job at a restaurant called Harvest, which was pretty much the Chez Panisse of the East Coast at the time. It was very, very ahead of its time, daily menus and think tanks and celebrities. And I just fell in love with it and stuck with it. So, you know, I ended up working for other people until I was about uh, 31 years old, and I began pursuit of my own business. I opened my first restaurant. Well, I opened my first retail business at 29. Um, the original name was New World Home Cooking Company, and that was by necessity. I had moved from Boston to New York City, and uh, began managing restaurants. We were we were in the middle of making babies. We had our second child, and um, through family connections, etc., we decided to leave the city and we moved up to Albany, New York, which is a much smaller city. I guess like going from LA to Sacramento is kind of a good parallel, right? Um, and uh, it, it was in Albany and 
I was looking for work in restaurant management, but at the time I was still in the music world. I had pierced ears and tattoos and spiky hair. And in 1989, no one was hiring a guy like that to work in the front of the house in Albany. It wasn't like now you couldn't get away with that. You know, they just looked at me and said, are you kidding me? Go back and wash dishes. So, um, for, I was very fortunate to have encountered a guy named Ken Linden, who at this point I can say he was me then. He was an older cat, as he would call himself. He was a jazz guy. He had the cigarette hanging out of his mouth and played the piano, but he had a cool little restaurant called Yates Street, and he offered me uh, a position as chef. Now, I had never been a head chef. I had cooked a lot. I'd cooked my ass off, but I'd never been a head chef, but his chef had gotten in a motorcycle accident and was um, out of service for over a year. Long story short, I walked into that job, but what I brought with me was my experiences of being in Boston and New York and my exposure to all the ethnic and global food that I knew. So I began schlepping down to New York and loading my Volvo up with Thai curry pastes and Korean products and Indian products and all these funky ingredients that you couldn't get in Albany. And then I started a company called New World Home Cooking Company, where not only did I sell it to other chefs wholesale, but I sold it to customers through a printed catalog. And then eventually we opened a storefront, my wife and I, in Tannersville, New York, where we actually sold ethnic cooking ingredients through a storefront, which was pretty cool. So that led to the opening of the first restaurant in Woodstock, New York in 1993. And uh, we moved that to Saugerties. And that restaurant ran for 25 years. So it's a long story. <laughs> so having you had your own businesses for a while now and, uh, and kind of going from working for someone into having your own thing, what do you tell people or what would you tell someone who maybe wanted to do that, who wanted to get away from their current employer or their current situation and start their own thing, you know, um, what do you tell people who, who say, I'm ready to do it and, you know, but I, I'm just too scared or I, I just need the security and I, I, I just can't step away from that. What do, you, what do you tell people about that or that mindset? Um, don't go into business if that's your mindset, number one. <laughs> and number two, keep working for somebody else, get that pension, you'll be happy. But number two is, here's a great quote that uh, my father-in-law used to say. You got to take a shot because you're on the outside looking in. And what's the worst thing that could happen? You'll be back on the outside looking in. So in other words, you're not going to go any further backwards. Try to go forwards and take a shot. I mean, I, I didn't know better. You know, it's funny that um, I'm writing a book right now and my agent wanted me to begin to add memoir pages. So I'm, I'm writing about just this subject about not knowing any better. Oh, I can open a restaurant. I've worked front of the house. I work back of the house, you know, and we learned a lot of it on the fly once we opened. My wife is a, an attorney now, but she's a very smart woman. And and she handled the back of the house, um, the office, not the back of the house, the back office um, stuff. And as she said, we learned it on the fly. But back then, there was no internet. I mean, we're talking 1993. Everything was go to the library, grab books, how to run a restaurant, how to manage your restaurant finances. You know, we learned all that. But we're both pretty, you know, we're, we're ferocious readers and, and very curious people. And I think that if you're not a person who likes to read, who understands the value of knowledge, 
who has that curiosity, don't go into business unless you want to open a hot dog cart and one and one makes two. But if you get into the restaurant business, one and one doesn't make two anymore. It's very complicated between the taxes and the payroll and the labor laws and costing. There's a lot, there's a lot of um, brain work that goes into it. It's not just making good food, you know? You are 100% correct. <laughs> it is pretty complicated and there's a lot more of the business sense that's required in, in starting a business and running a business, especially a successful one continually. But talk about some of the most important things when it comes to running a business, namely marketing, promotion, even self-promotion, because I think a lot of people... Um, a lot of people see going on the Food Network or going and and uh, and doing some of these reality TV shows and things of that that kind of get your name out there and get you known as maybe selling out. Um, so what do you say to that? Because obviously you've done that. You've been on those shows. You've done a lot of, of things of that nature. What do you say to those people who say that that's selling out? I feel always felt this way, especially because I started, I think, in the arts, like, music scene and art scene and underground writing and poetry that you got to get yourself out there to get anywhere. So we've always been um, very dedicated to promoting what we do. And if you're good, it pays off. Um, you know, I, I was very lucky that the little restaurant we opened in Woodstock, you know, Woodstock, New York, let me give you a quick background on that. We're a hundred miles north of New York City. We're pretty much the Hudson Valley, the Hudson River, the eastern uh, Catskills is basically, if you follow the Hudson River up, it goes all the way up, you know, to the Adirondacks. But the, the Hudson River is now, all these little cities have become little satellites of New York City. But Woodstock was the first. And this is where a lot of arts and entertainment people hung out in the summer. It was not quite the Hamptons. It was a little more groovy, you know, a little bit more like Big Sur maybe. Uh, but it's where people wanted to hang out. And one day there was a fella sitting at my bar named Bill Crowley. And he, he saw me talking to some customers about food. And I guess I get pretty exuberant. And, you know, I was really being animated. And he said, hey, listen, uh, give me a call. I got something for you. So I called him a couple days later. And he was the um, news editor or sports news editor for NBC's National Today Show, which shot down in Rock shoots down in Rockefeller Center in New York. And he hooked me up and they called me up and I went down and did a Today Show piece on a one day notice, which was hysterical. They called on a Thursday, on a Friday morning and said, can you be in New York City by five o'clock to set up for a Saturday morning Today Show? And of course, back then I was a one man show. There was just three cooks in the kitchen and I talked to my cooks and I said, guys, I got to go to the city. And they won it. We were really afraid to leave the restaurant alone. It was our first or second year. And I went down and went on the Today Show, and that taught me a ton because our business went up 10% instantly after that Today Show. It just popped right up. I did, I think, 10 or 11 subsequent Today Show appearances from between 1995 and 2002 or three. I was on a couple of times a year, which really taught me the value of promoting so at that time, there was no, the internet was just starting. We had websites back in 97 and 98, so we were pretty early, but there wasn't a hell of a lot going on back then. So we, were, we would do fax promos, we bought billboards. I mean, we really 
and we used the as seen on TV thing, as seen on the Today Show, and built our promotion. There's nothing more valuable than getting people curious about your business because of some celebrity thing. Is it all bullshit? Maybe, but it does it work? Absolutely. That's the most important thing. Getting your face out there works. If you're starting a business and you don't promote yourself, and I don't care what kind of business it is, you've got to promote yourself within the realm of where your people are, um, it makes a big difference. I've pissed off a lot of chefs because I've done all this stuff, but that's okay. <laughs> They're not my backbone of my business. <laughs> so talk a little bit about what it's like to have multiple outlets or multiple things going on. What's that, what's that done for you? Well, um, part of what it's done is put me into chapter 13. <laughs> I, uh, I think I overextended myself at a certain point and, you know, got screwed up. Um, I think that's one thing you have to be careful of. Um, I am involved with another restaurant in Albany, which is very successful. I'm a consulting partner and I license my name to that, which is really cool. Um, but then I decided I wanted to take on the wedding world in the Hudson Valley. And I invested a lot of money into infrastructure and staffing and, uh, without really understanding the big numbers, um, so that was a little dangerous because that went belly up. Um, I lost more than six figures on that, and had a you know had to shutter that biz that that chapter of the business. Um, you know, I've been into food production, and now I'm doing a lot of media. My, my podcast is up, but I'm also shopping some other stuff. Um, so it can be a distraction if you're a chef. One of the reasons why. Uh, and I don't know if we got to this, but the original New World Home Cooking Company, which opened in 93, we closed on April 7, 2018. Um, it had run its course. Uh, it was still a viable business, but it had been flat for five years. Our market's exploding up here. Everybody thinks they can come upstate and open a restaurant. So, you know, we went from having five or six reasonably good competitors to having 25 or 30 reasonably good competitors in in basically a market of about 30,000 people so it's pretty insane so we close that up um one of the reasons why is so i can move further forward with more of my ventures getting back into the food production you know and back into the media um production because it's it's a distraction running a restaurant is well you ask any chef i mean when you're running a restaurant, it's not just making food, you know, especially if you're a chef owner. Now, one of my great situations with the relationship with Albany and New World Bistro Bar, where I license my name and I consult and I'm there 10 days a month, is I don't want to know where the toilet paper is and I don't want to know the plumber's number and I don't want to know the dishwasher's phone number. I want to be big picture uh, consultant and that's great because that gives me lots of time. Being the small picture consultant or like an independent operator, you're everything. No matter how good your managers are, you know, if uh, if that whatever, that sign light's not working and no one notices it, you're going to be that guy out there changing the bulb. So that can really take a lot out of your creative and your financial um, growth, you know. So that's always something challenging when you're a little guy trying to open a business. And then when you try to be the big guy, you better be big enough. When we opened our catering business, New World Catering, we rented a space, we equipped it, we did tons of promo, but we were competing with another company. And there's a lot of caterers, don't get me wrong, but there was one established $60 million catering company that just 
we couldn't we couldn't compete with them. When they their infrastructure was unbelievable, and I I kept throwing money at my business, thinking I can get that big, I can get that big. And after two and a half, three years, I said, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Shut her up, call a lawyer, I'm done. So that's reality, you know, and you have to face reality. You gotta, as Kenny Rogers says, you gotta know when to fold them. So being uh, a little guy starting out and wanting to wanting to keep as much money as you can in your business and trying to really grow it and get to being one of the big guys, how do you do that and survive? I mean, that's, that's the $100 million question in some cases for people is that how do you get your business up and going and still survive? I mean, I, I think all of us, uh, myself included, would benefit from understanding how you did it. How did how were you able to start all these businesses and take these chances and and still survive? Well, um, that's that's a good question um, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of different answers depending upon your situation. Um, I am very fortunate that my wife is an attorney uh, for the county of, that we live in, which means that not only do we have a, a solid income coming in and retirement, but we also have full health benefits covered through her world. That gives me a lot of freedom. Um, you know, when you're opening your business, you're on your own. And there's all these expenses that uh, you don't even realize, like paying your own damn health insurance. You know, it's it's, it's a lot of money. And, um, and setting up a pension fund. And if your business is not super profitable, sometimes you're the person who you pay last, which can be very dangerous, you know, especially as you get older. So, I mean, the advice I give people is do it while you're young and you don't give a damn and make sure that you have somebody who understands the numbers, you know, a good product and even a full restaurant doesn't necessarily mean you're making any money. Um, I've been through that when I was younger. I, I, I went over the top back in the 90s and I'd have a packed restaurant and at the end of the year, the profit was 2%. And my accountant said, what are you doing? I said, well... <laughs> I'm spending a lot of money on wine and truffles and spending a lot of money on, on, uh, on help. And, you know, and, and suddenly, you know, we realize that we have to actually create a business model that is profitable and streamline some things without making it look like a streamlining thing. So make sure you understand your business model and what you want to do. And you got to have the balls to wake up and say every single day of the week, seven days a week, I'm on. You don't have it. I mean, you can have days off. That doesn't mean you're working, but you're on. Um, I, I can tell stories of, you know, so I basically committed, especially since I had the children from the time we opened the restaurant, that we would be open Sundays, but I wouldn't be working on Sundays. So I always trained my sous chef and my managers to understand Sundays were their day. And from the earliest time on, we always had a four-star average review rating. The restaurants were, were loved, but of the four-star reviews, the negative reviews that came in, which may have, been, may have been one out of every 10 or 15, there's always somebody going to trash you no matter what you do, right? The negative reviews were almost always on Sunday. And they would say, boy, if Rick was there, this wouldn't have happened. Or I wish Rick was there because my you know, steak would have been cooked perfectly. And you have to be able to deal with that. You have to be able to roll with that and say, listen, I can't be there seven days a week. I have to trust people. I have to empower people. And if I don't do that, I'm going to get burned out really quickly. I have no idea whether that was the question you proposed. I'm on my second cup of coffee, so. Well, you obviously have, have done some great things, and you've learned a lot, and it's it's been very valuable. 
obviously for you but and those you've mentored, but now for us and our audience, I have to ask though, what do you do to to stay at peak performance? What are your what are some of your rituals or habits or some of the things that you do on a consistent basis that allow you to perform at a high level? Oh, that's a really good question. Well, first of all, I make sure that I do about 10 to 15 minutes of stretching and yoga every morning so my body doesn't break down and I don't eat a lot of junk. So I stay in pretty good shape. Um, and that's important. But I think that what I learned after about year five of my first business, when my accountant said to me, maybe it wasn't year five, it was all year seven, about 2000. My accountant said, well, congratulations. Technically, you're a millionaire. I said, I am a millionaire. Ooh, ooh, ooh. How much money did I make this year? He said, $70,000. I said, what? Because <laughs> the business valuation was so high. And yet, the amount of money I was getting paid, you know, we, we were making 5 to 6% profit on the business. So um, one of the things that I learned is to pay yourself first. It took me about seven years to actually understand that I should pay myself a paycheck like the rest of my employees it was so stupid in the beginning. We were living on the profit, you know, we were taking X amount. We, we had a basic uh, fund set up with our accountant of about $600 a week that we were allowed to spend personally. And then my wife was taking a small paycheck, but I wasn't. And it, you know, it took me a while to understand that I just have to pay myself just like I pay everybody else. Um, and a lot of people don't do that. They open their businesses and they write paychecks to 15, 20, 30 people and they don't write one to themselves. And suddenly, you know, you're, you have a, a bad run and you're like, oh shit, I got to borrow money from my business. So always have a good account. Always pay yourself first. Um, my uncle used to say that he was from a first generation. Uh, actually he was, no, he's, I'm first generation. He was an immigrant from Sicily and he would say, pay yourself first. Always pay yourself. He was a, a stonemason. You don't pay yourself. You're going to pay everybody except for yourself. So that was a good lesson, and I never forgot that. And, um, you know, the other lesson I learned is that if it's if you think you're making money, but you don't have enough money, get a good accountant and figure out where your money's going. Really watch where your money's going. And then have the discipline to understand that maybe you're making a mistake in one particular aspect of what you're doing and you need to make a change. And if your accountant says you need to make a change, don't argue. I used to argue with my accountant all the time. He'd say, you can't, you can't do this. And I kept saying, but I need to get these in because I need to bring in customers. And it took me a while to really understand how to, how to make money and um, how to, you know, how to manage what I do. And as a chef, let me tell you something. You have to really, if you're a chef owner, you really have to understand where to spend money and where to be cheap. I don't need the most expensive canola oil on the market. I don't need, you know, the most expensive kosher salt, but I do need a fabulous protein and fabulous finishing stuff. When the local farmer comes to me and says, I have great local products. And I said, what do you have that I can make money on? They said, what do you mean? I said, I can't make money on onions, but I can certainly make money on fava beans or something sexy that I can put on the menu. So my, I buy a lot of local stuff, but I buy local stuff that I can turn around and make money on. I'm not just going to buy a local substitute for a commodity ingredient that costs twice as much because that just is like taking money out of your pocket. No one knows you're doing it. 
And it, it, it's a waste of money for me as a restaurant owner. And that was a really big lesson that I learned in the beginning. I used to buy truckloads of local produce in season and be all proud of it and realize that I spent double on produce than I should have. And now I learned that I'll buy great local tomatoes, but I'll sell them. I'll put them on the menu, great local greens. They'll be listed on the menu and I'll sell them at a premium. And they sell anything local I get, I sell at a premium. And I think that's a really important money-making lesson. And uh, don't let your ego get too big. You know, I mean, just because your restaurant's packed, it doesn't mean it's going to be packed forever. Restaurants have life cycles. I can do a whole show on the life cycle. I've had one for 25 years and one. the second one is for nine years. So I'm watching the, the life cycle of the second one as we have hit the nine-year plateau and we're looking for a bump on our 10th year because a 10th anniversary is a way to push it uh, a little harder. But um, the life cycle of a restaurant is interesting, you know, and don't give up after two years unless you're dying financially. But uh, don't don't plan on going much more than 10 or 15 unless you want to be like uh, Commander's Palace and have your grandmother working with you. <laughs> well, I have to say, these are incredible lessons from an incredible individual. I am humbled and absolutely so grateful for the knowledge and wisdom that you've imparted to us today. And I know that there are people out there that will benefit from this, uh, myself included. So if uh, somebody wants to get a hold of you or find out more, how do they, how do they go about that? What's the best way to do that? Uh, simplest way is just go to uh, rickorlando.com. That's without a K. It's R-I-C orlando.com. That's my, uh, you know, my website that has, Everything from my podcast to my personal appearances to my pop-ups to my restaurant information, private chefing, all that stuff is available there. And there's a lot in the works for me right now. Like I said, I just launched my first podcast. It's called One Million String Beans. And uh, it just came out on Podbean, and that will be that's going to be RSSing over the weekend, probably going everywhere. And then... Uh, you know, I'm working with a, a supermarket chain up here called Hannaford. Uh, they're from Maine to uh, through New England and New York. I'm doing a chef partnership with them. So on their website, HannafordMarkets.com, you'll see me doing a bunch of work. I'm doing a bunch of work for child nutrition programs right now. They're doing a big support project, quarter million dollars invested into backpack lunches and back weekend uh, backpack meals for kids. And I'm doing a lot of work with that. So I'm out, man. I'm doing a ton of stuff. Um, and But rickorlando.com is where you're going to find me. Well, Rick, thank you so much for sharing your time. You're obviously a busy guy with a lot going on. But you've imparted some great wisdom to all of us. And uh, I'm just very grateful. So thank you for that. Well, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for sticking around be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, or anyone who's interested in making food and money. And when you get a second, give us a review. It really helps us get the word out as well as letting us know how we're doing. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food, Make Money on Instagram or Facebook. Or email us, info at businesschef.org.